Dun to the dun! What up, guys? It's Athena, and you're here for another episode of Vanished in the Valley. Today, I'm gonna tell you the story of Luis Azvaldo Diego Garcia. Um, he's not, well, he's vanished because to this day, nobody knows where he is or where his body is. Yeah, most people think he is dead. And the reason we're talking about him is because the scumbag everyone thinks who did it, including the police, is a fugitive of justice. He has got a price to pay that he is running from. And, you know, it's been a while since Luis was murdered, allegedly murdered. Um, This was back in 1996, and he's not talked about very often. As a matter of fact, like, I didn't even know about him until really recently. I was on Reddit, and in the missing section, I was talking to some of the people there, and I'm like, guys, what what should I profile? Who should I do next? And some people said some other stuff, uh, and I was like, cool, cool, cool. But then this guy, Luis Azevedo, Diego Garcia, he was mentioned, and I was like, okay, I've never even heard about that case. So I went and checked it out, and it's a fucked up case, and I want the person responsible to be brought to justice. So let me just, uh, let me tell you the story of Luis. He is an immigrant from Veracruz, Mexico, and he lived and worked in Ontario, California. Everyone described him as happy, friendly, just like super cool, chill guy. He got along with most people. He had moved to the United States in 1993, and he made friends with the local immigrants there, and he found a house to rent, so he had a bunch of roommates, and he just basically like worked and lived there. At this point, it's 1996, and he hadn't been home for three years. So he had planned a trip. He wanted to go home, see his parents, see his friends. You know, it had been a while, this time. So he booked a plane ticket uh, for December of that year, so December 1996, to fly back and just say hi and chill for a couple of weeks. Well, that's a flight that Luis would never make. Let me get you into a little background here. Luis worked at a factory that made ramen noodles in Ontario. The factory basically employed undocumented immigrants, and the immigrants did not really understand American labor laws. Every week, Luis and his co-workers clocked in an average of 72 hours. Okay, guys, check this out. A normal work week is 40 hours. So, that's almost double. I mean, I can't even imagine. That's got to be like... 12 hours a day, six days a week. I would die my first half a week. I don't know. I just can't even imagine. So these, the immigrants, they weren't aware of California labor laws. Um, And basically the owner of the factory, he wasn't paying them right. Anything that's like over eight hours a day or over 40 hours a week, you need to be paid time and a half. So he wasn't doing that. And if you calculate that, that makes a huge difference at the end of the day on the paycheck. So Luis, being the intelligent guy he is, figured out that him and all of his coworkers were being cheated and cheated out of a lot. 
So he brought this to the owner. Okay, now let me just tell you the owner's name. Now I'm probably gonna like jack it up because it's kind of hard, but let me just try here. Ready for this shit? Orvit Mektrakarn. I'm just gonna refer to him by his last name, which is the Mektrakarn. So, yeah. Mektrakarn was very aware of the labor laws and he was purposely hiring these immigrants because he knew he could cheat them. Just being a cheap ass, basically. Well, like I was saying, Garcia brought it to him and basically said to him, if you don't pay me the difference on what you owe me, I'm going to go to the State Labor Commission and report your ass. Or you can give me $5,000 right now. <laughs> Mextricarn agrees to pay him this $5,000. Um, he's going to give him 1000 up front and do the rest in installments on one condition. Of course, there's always got to be some shady-ass condition. Garcia is not allowed to tell anyone, not another soul, in this factory about the difference in pay and about how they are being cheated. And Luis agrees, unfortunately. So, Luis planned to get the rest of his money, which uh, was about $3,000 at this point from Metrican on the day of his disappearance, November 23rd. So, yeah, Luis basically agreed to this, but somehow one of his co-workers ended up finding out about the labor laws and demanded money. I mean, anybody's going to. It's thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm sure it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that the owner, Metrican, owed at this point. So... You know, he got that $1,000 up front, and a couple months had gone by from this little meeting where he, you know, called him out. Luis planned to get the rest of his money, which was $3,000 at this point, from Mectrocarin on the day of his disappearance, November 23rd. Hmm, a bit fishy, I think. So yeah, he's got a meeting set up, you know, I'm going to collect that last $3,000, and that's the last time anyone sees him. Yeah, that's not too fucking hard to figure out. Um, two of Luis's cousins, Francisco and the other one's named Renee, both knew of this meeting. Um, as a matter of fact, he had plans with one of them later on, but I'll get to that part in a minute. So, early on the day of November 23rd, Francisco drove Metrican to the Ontario International Airport to rent a Plymouth Voyager minivan. Francisco says Metrican drove the minivan to the factory at 5 p.m., Luis's other cousin, Renee, says he saw Metrican at the factory at 4 p.m. And Metrican told Renee he expected to meet Luis at any time. So, Renee was there and he was going to act as a translator and liaison between Metrican and the workers. He was summoned to the factory's north office at 5 p.m. to translate. Renee stated that Garcia, Metrican, Metrican's wife, Metrican's sister and his friend who is named his nickname is Buck so we'll just keep it at that because let me tell you I don't even want to try to pronounce his whole name um, they were all there um, they were in the office area so Metrican and his wife told Luis they were going to pay him what he asked for so at that point Metrican's wife then asked Renee to go clean the back of the plant and left the office with him. I guess she was like going to point out the area she wanted clean. 
Renee found the request super weird because cleaning was not his job. Like, that was not one of his duties or anything he ever was usually doing. Um, he wanted to go back to the office, but Metrican's wife wouldn't let him. So, obviously, this chick knew what was about to go down and didn't want any witnesses. Um, so she leads him to the little back area, and he starts cleaning. Um, but like any good American worker, he didn't complete the task and instead left the factory at 5.30. As he drove by, he looked in the north office window and saw three men, two of whom appeared to be hiding or crouching. Luis's Metricans and Buck, the friend, their cars were all still in the parking lot, but Metricans' rented van was gone. So that right there is kind of fishy. So back to the other cousin, Francisco. One of his duties was to move everyone's car inside the factory at the end of the day. He tried to go to the office area to grab the keys between 6 and 6.30, but Metrican's wife wouldn't let him inside, which was hella weird. Okay, it's the first time Francisco had ever been denied, you know, the keys. So he's wondering what the hell is going on and ended up just leaving at 7 p.m. Another employee usually counted the sales route money inside the office, but he also was prevented from entering the office that day. Um, later on, Luis had plans to go out to dinner with one of his cousins, but he never showed up. He was MIA and, as a matter of fact, was never seen again. So it's pretty easy to figure out who were the last people to see him. His friends, cousins, everyone notices his absence like right away but they waited till the 25th to report it um and you know a lot of people have that false belief where you have to wait 48 or 72 hours before you can report it or maybe they were just thinking he was gonna turn up um they may also have been afraid because they were undocumented immigrants and you know, they're like, crap, do we go to the police? They can deport us. You know, there could have been huge consequences. Um, but they bit the bullet and they did it. So up top to them. Um, the police instantly took this very seriously, which is awesome. Because how many times have I told you about a case where the police just, like, totally brushed it off? Not this time. So up top, Ontario PD. And, you know, you detectives, especially for 1996, are on the ball. That is what's up. So, like I said, the police totally take it seriously, and they go straight to the factory and get there and begin a homicide investigation right away. They weren't fucking around and knew some all bad shit had gone down in this factory. For one... The office area reeked of some kind of a chemical glue that was used to keep a new piece of carpet in the place of some old piece that had been cut out. They also noticed there was like dirty spots and it looked like you know, liquid or something had been spilled on it and tried to clean up. So it's pretty obvious some bullshit went down right there. Metrocan was present when the police arrived and he had injuries on his hands, okay? So it's like exhibit A. We're about to go through like 14 exhibits, so get ready for this shit. In a nearby dumpster outside, there was a plastic bucket with pieces of burned carpet inside. Three pieces of burned carpet were stuck together. A lighter fluid can with about an inch of fluid inside, a pair of bleached, stained blue jeans with cleaning fluid on them, 
liquid soap, rubber gloves, scouring pads, and a metal pot filled with ashes and wrapped in two plastic bags. Two handguns were also located on the scene. Now, it doesn't make any mention if the guns are legal or not, um, it's, but it also doesn't say anybody was arrested for them, so I'm just going to assume these were legal registered weapons. The police ended up illuminating the fuck out of the office and bathroom, but not until 2003. They found in the office area um, what was almost a perfect outline of a person crouched up against the wall, and it kind of looked like the blood was coming from the head because that was like the brightest area, but the blood like created this eerie outline of a body crouched up against the wall. I have a picture of it, and I'll put it up on the Instagram so you can see what I'm talking about. It's fucking eerie because you know, like, this is where this person was murdered. Speaking of Instagram, if anyone listening has any idea where Mextrican could be, let me know. You can send me an email at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or check out our Instagram or Facebook, all at Vanished in the Valley. Um, let us know. If you also have any more details on the case, um, let me know and I'll follow it up in a future episode. I'm always getting, uh, you know, different types of information and I go back in a different episode and I'll bring it up. So, that would be awesome. Metrican's van. So, remember that van that was the only one that was missing from the parking lot that, that night? Well, it ends up getting reported stolen. Super convenient, right? Um, and it wasn't located until December 5th, and it was all the way in Nevada at the Rio Hotel in Las Vegas. Like, what the fuck? How did it get there? When the police found it, they found it was super clean. The license plates were missing, and bleach had been poured all over the interior. So, it's like obvious someone is trying to destroy evidence. I mean, they probably put Luis's body in it and disposed of it God knows where because it's basically just like all open desert between Ontario, California and Las Vegas, Nevada. You would need a miracle from heaven coming down to basically locate that body or some random hiker or hunter because they're the ones that always seem to find these bodies. Poor people. That's like when murderers never think how many people get affected by a murder. It's like not only the families and the police but also the poor motherfucker that, like, stumbles upon some body in the forest or the desert. Um, yeah, it's just like this trickle effect that keeps going. But those selfish assholes, they don't care. Ugh. Anyways. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. I had to hit the jewel there. And just so you know, I don't get paid by Jewel. I would never, like, endorse some crap that I don't 100% believe in. I love the Jewel because it made me get rid of a cigarette habit that I had for 24 years. And I'd say, like, two weeks in, I totally noticed a difference in, like, my lungs. They didn't feel so heavy. Um, and it wasn't easy. I'm not saying, like, oh, I just went to Jewel and it was all beauty. No. The first week kind of sucked. But after that, it was smooth sailing. And I don't even crave cigarettes anymore. I crave the jewel. <laughs> so, I mean, I basically just traded one habit for another. But so far, this habit isn't, like, making me breathe like some out-of-shape weirdo when I'm, like, you know, trying to walk up a small hill. And I hike a lot, so it was becoming a problem. That was basically the only reason I did it. 
yeah, I don't want to sound like an asshole when I'm out hiking. Like, don't mind me, guys. I swear I'm not dying. I swear. But, yeah, try it out. If you guys smoke, do it. Because if I can quit after a 24-year habit, just, yeah, see what you can do. Um, sorry, yeah, a little side tangent here. So, yeah, we're fast forward. Okay, so from 1996 to 2003, nothing much is happening. But like I said, they luminaled that office and they found all that blood and everything. Um, well, back in 1996, they saw some of the blood, but DNA technology just was not where it is today. They ended up arresting a Mexican, and the problem is the prosecutor decided to release him because they had insufficient evidence to convict. So basically, as soon as he got released, his ass jumped on a next plane to his native Thailand, never to be seen again. Yeah. They ended up, I guess, getting a DNA profile for Garcia, and they were able to prove that all that blood, the blood, like the outline of the blood and the carpet, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but they even found some in the bathroom. All of it belonged to Luis. So, based upon this, the coroner said, you know, that's so much blood that it's not compatible with life. Basically saying these wounds were enough for him to bleed to death, and there you go. So, with that, the prosecutors, the district attorney, the detectives all got together, got their evidence together, went over everything and all the witness statements, and they were able to get an arrest warrant put together. Like, woo finally! Yes, this motherfucker's going down! In 2003, like I was saying, they developed a DNA profile for Garcia, proved all the blood was his, and the blood evidence led the authorities to believe Garcia was standing up against the office wall when he was attacked. And afterwards, he was drugged down the hallway and assaulted a second time in the bathroom. Based on this new evidence, Mectrican was again charged with Luis's murder. Authorities have obtained an international warrant for his arrest, but he remains at large. Probably living the high life in Thailand. Who knows? Because he can't be found. Um, but his little friend Buck... He ends up getting charged with accessory after the fact, um, but was released. Ends up getting recharged, and this time he goes to court and everything, but in May 2008, he was acquitted. So, yeah, not cool, right? Um, the Hunt, featuring John Walsh, decided to profile this case because there's these rumors that Mectricant, uh, he has friends in high places protecting him in Thailand. Um, and they kind of wanted to, you know, just put some pressure on the Thai authorities to arrest and extradite this scumbag. But, as of yet, nobody has been found and no one has been brought to justice. His sister wants justice. I want justice. John fucking Walsh wants justice. So, I'm just going to put this out there. Warvet Mextrakarn, the American government and citizens will not forget you. And you will remain a fugitive of justice for the rest of your life. You need to get your cheap ass back here and face what you have done and pay for it. You may as well get to work on your redemption now before you die. Otherwise, that's going to be a hefty price to pay afterwards. 
So, I mean, it's just like, it's really shitty. All of this over some money. I fucking swear, the want of money is the root of most evil. And if you think about it, money is some abstract bullshit some people came up with to make some people have power and some people have none. So, yeah, chew on that, guys. <laughs> Don't mean to be all depressing, but fuck. I just have to give props to the places and the people where I got the information from for this case. I got a lot of information from the Reddit people. Like, if you go to the little missing section there, you guys kick ass on that site. The Charlie Project, I think it's like charlie.com. Um, they are awesome, and you can actually even go donate on that site to keep it rolling. Uh, they are like top fucking notch. Um, just wanted to say what's up to the Facebook crew. Got a lot of people on there. Of course, Courtney and Shannon. Um, there's Lacey. A whole bunch of you guys. Uh, just thanks for being on the group. Um, that's about it for the shoutouts on the people. Uh, I just wanted to say what's up, Ireland. Thank you for joining the crew. That's what is up. Um, and there's a bunch of places in Ireland, um, Glasgow and Dublin and United States, of course, everywhere. I was doing this thing where you get like 10 downloads for your city and, you know, I profile it with a missing person and it just like got too much, too big and I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so, so sorry guys. Um, I would really love to, but yeah, I just, I cannot, um, the website is a total shit show again, so yeah, I mean, it's there, but like, it's just not even functional. Um, at some point, when I like scrounge up some time, I'll get back on it and try to make it not such a shit show. Oh, out here in California, they're like finally starting to like lift this ridiculous lockdown that they've had us on, which got, it like happened in March. So there's literally been people that have been locked up in their house for months right now. I can't even imagine. And other people that have lost their jobs, it's just insane. All over a fucking virus that is kind of dangerous for certain parts of the population. Not even to get into all that bullshit because that would take a whole nother episode and I just don't got time for that shit. But yeah, I just want to say I appreciate all you guys that listen and tune in. I see all you guys in all the parts of the world. It is awesome and that is what's up. So thank y'all very much. Alright, well that seems to be all we've got for this week. Um... If you want, like I was saying earlier, you can email me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or you can go check out our Facebook. We got like a little group page and just like a regular page. You can get a hold of me there or go check out our Instagram page. Um, this week I'm going to get pictures up of the crazy luminal outline and I'll also put pictures of Luis and the scumbag at large. I'll make sure to get all of that. Um... But yeah, go check it out. I got a bunch of pictures from all of our cases up there um, and some other random stuff. I think Israel Keys is up there. Um, but yeah, that's about it, guys. Take care. Um, be aware. And don't forget the pepper spray. Cha-chao. It's PSA time. So last episode, we were talking a lot about drug dependence. 
And I kind of wanted this PSA to be with the last episode, but we had some technical issues and it just didn't work out. So we're doing it now. I just wanted to let any of our listeners know if they do have a drug problem, there is help out there. I just wanted you guys to kind of be educated first before you choose a doctor to help you detox. You need to be educated on the drug that is your drug of choice before you go in. Don't expect your doctor to know exactly what's going on and, you know, all the stuff and how you're going to be feeling. Most doctors mean well in the whole drug abuse and addiction section of the medical field, but again, a lot of them have never experienced it. For example, if you're going to a doctor because you have an opiate dependency and you are, you know, using heroin, you're going to have to let them know that most likely your detox is going to be a fentanyl and a heroin detox. And they're probably going to have to adjust the detox plan because fentanyl and heroin come out of the body in different ways. So they might have to just adjust and tweak little drugs here and there to help you through that. Um, If your drug of choice is, say, an upper, make sure you do research and see if there's any studies uh, from other countries or different clinics and see what they have to say. And that way you'll be armed with information when you go to choose a doctor to help you on your journey through sobriety. Um, I wanted to give you guys some information on where you can go to find a detox center. If you call 1-800-662-4357, these people can help you find somewhere to actually go and detox. The name of the organization is is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. You can even go check out their website. It's at www.sumhlc.org. And they are a nonprofit organization, and it's all totally confidential. And they will help you find some sort of a center that can help you detox and get a plan to stay sober. So, again, the phone number is 1-800-662-HELP, that's 4357, or you can go to their website. If you guys need help, you need somebody to talk to, email me. I'd be happy to help you and talk about it. And you can reach me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com. All right, guys, take care and be safe. 